Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in today, don't care to call in, think of something during the week. Could be you think of something about 1159. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you can always visit our website. There you it's go. www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O A U T O.com. Right. Easy way to remember that. It's Aldazan's Garage Company. That's good site. And there's several databases on our site. There's a AGCO database which concerns AGCO every questions. AGCO question and vehicle questions. Mm-hmm. You can select on there, select the topic you're looking for. It'll give you a nice short answer. Suppose you want to know about air pressure. Just go to vehicle questions, type in the phrase air pressure, and wham, it's going to bring up all the topics on that. Or right. let's say you're concerned with getting water in your automatic transmission. Just type in water transmission something to that effect and wham it'll bring up all of them on that and you'll get a good short answer that'll right. be just pretty much a direct answer most of those are based on questions that i've received either by email or we've had on the radio show that people seem to be interested in there is also a much larger database called detailed topics now what a detailed topic is, is a much more involved article on a specific topic it gives you a lot more data on the subject way way more than you could go into on the show or anywhere else for instance there are one on there right now on properly checking automatic transmission fluid. That's something that you would think would be really easy to do. You would think so, but it's really a lot more complicated than what most people give it credit for being. Right. And the problem is that people get wrong answers all the time. They check the fluid and they think it's full when it's not, or they think it, it's not when it is, so on and so forth. This particular article has several pictures showing you examples of fluid on dipsticks and such as that. At different levels. Different levels, and what is the correct reading. So that's something that any car owner who is interested in maintaining his own car might want to take a look at. Also touches on the topic of vehicles that do not have dipsticks in the transmission, which are more and more these days. Right. More and more cars are coming without a dipstick in the transmission. There's a certain procedure you have to go through to check certain temperatures, everything else. And this touches on that. And, of course, there's one on differential leaks, spotting leaks in your rear differential and how to know what that is. One I've just put on recently is how to find quality. And that is when I'm looking for products whether I'm looking around town or looking on the internet or whatever, it always comes to me that I want a quality product because I want something that's going to last. Sure. But I don't always find myself able to determine what is a quality product, particularly if there's hundreds of choices. There often is. Sometimes we're kind of polluted with information. you got so much information, it's just really hard to determine what's a good product. So I thought I'd put that article on. And while it's geared towards the automotive industry or automotive repair trade, you could probably use a lot of it towards buying almost any kind of product. But it's how to recognize quality or how to find quality. Sounds like a real good article. It is. It's a good article, I think. It's a good, timely article. And in hard times, which I don't think anybody would argue these are hard times and seem to be getting harder, we can afford less and less to buy shoddy products. Correct. You just can't afford junk. Because they take your money and they don't give you very much in return. It doesn't last very long. It doesn't perform very well. More than ever, it's important to get your money's worth. That's called value. One of our customers was nice enough to bring an old adding machine earlier this week. This really? thing is about 100 years old. Yeah, I think it was made in 1909. Old mechanical adding machine. And I've got it on display in the office. And to me, that just epitomizes what made in America used to mean. Oh, most definitely. This thing is 100 years old, still works perfectly. Yeah, exactly. The ribbon still prints. <laughs> 100 years old, top quality, man, you can pull that handle, you can just feel it. This is what made America used to be. Yeah, you buy one and like should that be now. now. Yeah, you, well, now you go and you buy one for twenty nine ninety five. it lasts three months, doesn't work right, it's a pain to use, and you throw it away. Right. And this was something that you bought. It worked in an office. I forgot the exact story behind it. I think it was her father-in-law's business. They used it for probably 40 or 50 years before they retired. And then she's had it in her attic 
since then. She's nice enough to give it to me. That type of quality, just it's very oh, difficult it's, to find anymore. It is. And just wonderfully rewarding when you do. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just a good order. Pop on and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to take some of our phone calls. We've got Thomas on the line. Good morning, Thomas. Hey there. Uh, I just recently bought a used car, about a year old used car, and wanted to get the most. We just talked about value. I, I want to see if I can increase the gas mileage. On this yes, thing. sir. Are there any products on the market that help increase a car's gas? Thomas, there really aren't anything that's going to make any kind of a major difference. I've got two articles on the website on that topic. Okay. One is getting, it's called free gas, and it's getting the most you can. The other one is wasting money and not getting any improvement. And they both address that exact topic. Car makers for decades now have worked tirelessly to get the best fuel mileage you're going to get. Right. Most of the improvements that they've been able to get are a result of two things. One is weight reduction. The second one is aerodynamic. It's just physics that it takes a certain amount of fuel to push a certain amount of weight a certain distance at a certain speed. You can't right. ever violate that. What and about this, what, what about this uh, magnetic? Absolute bull. Yes, okay. sir. That, so is the carburetor that the guy invented that gets 100 miles a gallon that all companies bought up. So is the little fans you put in under the intake, the stuff gotcha. you add to the gas. It's all bull. You see, it doesn't matter how you put the fuel into the engine. Physics uh -huh. dictate it's going to take a certain amount of energy to move a certain amount of weight a certain distance at a certain speed, period. No matter how it gets into the engine. doesn't okay. matter if you put it in a special magical carburetor or you just pour it in there with an eyedropper. Engine efficiency has improved very little. The internal combustion engine has improved very little. I mean, they've gotten a bit more efficiency by using lighter weight oils, eliminating some friction, and so on. But most of the big gains, like I said, have come from gearing of the vehicle, slowing the motors down removing weight from the vehicles, aerodynamics, and that. So if you read that article, it will give you several things that you can do personally. Most of them have to do with driving habit that can really make a big difference. Gotcha. But Thank all you. this junk that you buy, no, absolutely save your money. You want gotcha. a better good. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thomas. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got John online. Good morning, John. Oh, good morning. Yes, good sir. Morning. I got a 93 GMC Sonoma. Okay. Been a great car three weeks ago. I lost uh, one of the ball joints on the front wheel. Okay. And the mechanic got it fixed, and, and actually the steering has been better than I didn't know how bad it was. <laughs> I rotate my tires once a month. Okay. How many miles uh, is that, John? I'm going about 1,000 miles a month. Okay. That's too soon to be rotating tires. Well, I also do it as an excuse to uh, kind of look underneath the car. And well, that's that fine, but what you need to do is just pull them off and look at and put them back where they go. I'll explain the reason why. When you rotate a tire, what you're doing is you're evening out the wear because the front will always wear on the shoulders and the rear tends to wear in the center. Now, what happens is if you continue to rotate them every 1,000 miles, they never stay on the rear long enough to smooth back out. So you're basically negating the advantage of rotating because they keep getting put back in the same position too soon. So you recommend what about every... It depends on the type of tire. With Michelin, it's seven to 9,000. Some people rotate maybe at 5,000. I generally would say around seven would be a good time because if that tire does not remain on the rear long enough, it will not flatten out. And so just because some is good doesn't mean more is better. Can rotate too often. And that's probably what I've been doing. Yes, sir, because uh, you just keep putting it back on the front. The tire stays on the front, stays on the front, stays on the front. It doesn't stay on the back long enough to flatten back out. So you can rotate too often. So it's a good idea, like you said, to pull the wheels off and look around. But just take them off, put them back in the same position. And maybe every six or 7,000 miles, go ahead and rotate. 
that's what I'll do. Oh, there was one thing the mechanic told me when okay. I was when I had my trouble with my ball joint. Uh-huh. He said, I recommend you put two new tires on the front because you created ball spots on the front. Yes, sir. I think it was when I was pretty much dragging the car off the road. Yes, sir. If, if a ball joint gets bad enough, the tire will actually move side to side as well as turning round and round, and it can cause what they call scallop wear. Now, there's a number of things you can do. Sometimes cross-rotating to the rear will help with that. Sometimes not. You just have to try it. If there's enough rubber left on the tire and it's not worn out, it's worn out and needs to be replaced. But if there's enough rubber left on it, sometimes you can cross-rotate them to the rear and by turning them in the opposite direction, help to wear that back in smooth. Now, was that caused by the ball joints going out or did, was it caused by me literally dragging the car off the road? Well, it would be impossible to say without seeing the tire and knowing more about it, John, what can happen. A worn part can cause a scallop wear, but more often than not, in my experience, and and I've been doing this 40 years, what happens is that the tire is out of round from the time it's made. The out of round tire wears in spots and also beats the ball joint to death. So what happens, tire guy sees a worn-out part, and a worn-out tire in spots. So he says, oh, the part must cause tire. But in many cases, what we find is that the tire actually caused the part problem. We see that a lot with leaking shock absorbers. A guy will have an out-around set of tires on the car that was out-around the day he bought them, and the shock's trying to hold the tire down, and it just beats to death. So the two work hand-in-hand. You'd really have to have someone with experience look at it and tell you which you have, you know, whether the worn part caused the tire to wear or whether the out-around tire caused the worn part. And it's important to determine that or you end up with the same problem again. Hmm. Oh, I am looking underneath the car once a month. Now, a ball joint doesn't just go out one day or no, unless sir. you really hit something. How is a person who's not a, exactly a car expert who looks underneath his car and actually I grease those ball joints once a once a month. Just. Yeah, and that may be a little too often too, John. What you can actually do if you over-grease a part, you can actually end up rupturing the boot that protects it. And once the boot's bursted, it's going to go out really, really quick because the grease leaks out, moisture and all gets in. So all you want to do is just put a small amount of grease until that boot starts to expand and stop. Don't continue to grease them. And normally about every three to 5,000 miles also going to be more than adequate on that. But to answer your question, on that particular joint, on a General Motors car, if you look around the little Zerk fitting at the bottom, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Take and wipe that time. nice and clean. You're going to see a little round sleeve around that grease fitting, okay? Uh-huh. And that little sleeve should protrude out slightly from the bottom of the ball joint. When it becomes flush with the bottom of the ball joint or starts to recede into the ball joint, the ball joint's worn out. That's the easiest way for you to tell. Now, without that, because not all of them have that little feature, you can jack the car up. Under the spring, you have to relieve the pressure on the spring. So you would put the jack under the control arm, directly under the spring, jack the wheel up, grab the tire at 6 and 12 o'clock, and see if you can move it in or out. And that, that would be move the car- physically tire? move the right. tire, yes, sir. And you have to watch whether the movement is in the wheel bearing or in the ball joint, but that's how you check them in a shop. We've got a rack where we can get in the air, lift the car off the rack at spring, then you can push in and out the bottom of the tire and see if it physically moves. So and you can even take it to another step. Out. You can put a dial indicator on it where you can actually measure the amount of movement. Because the car, front tire is not supposed to move. No, so there should forth. be no movement side to side in those ball joints. There may be some up and down. There is a specification for that. Right. It's I want to say it's like twenty or thirty thousandths up it, and depending down. Depending on the type of joint. And, yeah. Some of them as much as 125,000 right. up and down. Depending on what vehicle, what joint you're actually looking at. But side to side. Side no. to side, it should be none. 
Well, it sounds like you're uh, saving me work. Instead of going <laughs> to each store once a month. Yes, sir. Once every, actually, I'm going to probably just say every six months. Yeah, that would probably be yeah. adequate. Yeah, you'll have to find something to do every month That's now. right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something else wa- to do. Wash and wax it every there month. There you go. <laughs> that might, yeah, let's, let's, yeah, let's do that. That's might pay more dividends for there you. There you go. Thanks for the help. All right, John. You're welcome. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we'll be glad to answer any automotive questions you might have. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. Oh, it is. You know, and unfortunately, what happens every single week is that folks wait till the very end of the show to call in. And when it's time to go, it's time to go. So we don't get a chance to answer the call. Right. And then they're sitting there kicking themselves. Man, I should have called a little early. <laughs> <laughs> but right now is the perfect time. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. The previous caller was a very, very good one. John, I think, is very typical of a lot of folks who are trying to do the right thing. Very concerned about Very concerned about the vehicle. Right. And unfortunately, you can go far wrong trying to do the right thing. You have to be guided by some knowledge. And also, I guess more unfortunate, there's so many folks today who have a vested interest in steering you wrong. Sure. You just have to be very careful who you listen to, where you get information. You want information from someone who doesn't stand to gain anything from your choice. Correct. The other day where some parts stores say, oh, yeah, we'll check your codes and we'll refer you to it. Well, now the shop they're going to refer to is the shop that buys their their parts. Cheap parts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you might go through the list and say, oh, these guys, I'm going to strike off my list. <laughs> <laughs> start what, what, what start kind, there. Yeah, what kind of parts are we going to be using here? You know, that would be a big concern to me. But you just got to be very careful because we get this just all the time where folks are trying to do the right thing. We had one gentleman who changed his coolant, again, thinking he was going to do the right thing. But what he did is he took and filled the radiator up with city water, and then he dumped the antifreeze into the radiator and actually created a huge, huge corrosion problem because, number one, it won't mix in the engine. It has to be pre-mixed. Right. Number two, the city water has chlorine and fluoride and silicates and everything else in it. And about a year later, he has got a major, major problem with his car. He had no idea. He said, man, I've done that all my life. I said, well, yeah, but you know, you got to remember, you used Things to have, have changed. cast iron in cylinder walls, right. and you had copper radiators or brass radiators. All that has totally changed now, and you just can't do that way anymore. So that's one reason we stress the website so much. There's tons and tons of information that can help you. And this is all written not to get you to Agco, although we do, of course, hope you will do business with us. But if you don't, tons of information, unbiased, and it's going to give you the straight scoop, Correct. which is very hard to find nowadays. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Gary online. Good morning, Gary. 
Yes, good morning, guys. Yes, sir. Good morning. Doing? doing great, sir. I've got a question about my diesel Dodge Ram 2500. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's an older model. It's a 97 model. Yes, sir. With the Cummings diesel. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Only has 80,000 miles wow. on it. That's low. Someone used it just to pull a fifth-wheel trailer, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yes, sir. My question is, and I heard someone talking about improving mileage yes, on sir. a gas vehicle, mm-hmm. but are there chips available that were even worthwhile to go in? Not at all, Gary. What a chip does, it simply changes parameters. When an engineer at Chrysler, Ford, GM, Toyota, Honda, wherever, designs the program to operate the computer, they've got three main factors in mind. First off is economy, second off is durability, and third off is dependability. Now, they're going to put that program somewhere right in the middle of those three. Now, you can gain any one of the three by losing the other two, and that's what these chips do. You may gain some performance, but you're going to lose dependability and you're going to lose economy. You may gain some economy, but you're going to lose performance and you're going to lose dependability. Almost every one of those are going to have ramifications when you start changing it because you don't just gain anything there's there's no magical formula that's going to create free energy it just can't happen whenever you gain one thing you lose other things and so you might do something like for instance put more fuel and there's holy injectors open longer advance the timing well yeah that will make more power but it'll make more power at the expense of dependability of the engine because it'll wear it out a lot faster and also at economy Now, you might lean out the mixture and do some other things and get better economy, but you're going to lose dependability. You're going to damage other things. So the chip that comes in the vehicle is almost always going to be the optimum, all factors considered, which is your overall lowest cost. What does it behoove you to gain two miles a gallon and end up eating up a set of injectors that cost $6,000? (laughs) Really? You see, that's the kind of thing. And, boy, we see this all the time because we take those chips out every single day. People come uh-huh. in, they need they need a new injector right. pump for four grand. And right. what caused this? Well, here you go. <laughs> so we're putting it back like it was, and like, wow, it drives just as well as it did before and gets better mileage now. Well, yeah, it's running right now. Just physics, man. It takes so much energy, fuel is energy, to push a vehicle a certain distance at a certain speed. It's kind of like if you walk across a field, it takes a certain amount of energy. If you run across a field, it takes more energy. So you can do an awful lot with just your driving habits. And if you go to my website and just type in fuel mileage, There's two or three articles that will tell you how to absolutely optimize. People will spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, trying to gain one or two miles a gallon. I've seen guys spend 40 grand on a new vehicle to gain five miles a gallon. Probably could have got the same increase with change of driving style for absolutely no cost with a current car. Right. So, yeah, pop on in and read those articles and see what you think. All right, I sure will. Okay, Gary. Thanks for your info. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. You want to be part of the automotive hour? We've got Drew online. Good morning, Drew. Hey, Lewis, I got a 95 Ford van E150. It's uh-huh. got a remanufactured engine, uh, probably a year or two old in okay. it. And when you're cruising at about 40 miles an hour, uh-huh. I notice just an intermittent miss. I don't notice it when I'm accelerating, but when you let off, get up to speed and let off and cruise, uh-huh. it just every, it just just miss. Yeah, I can tell you a couple things, Drew. Without seeing the vehicle, it'd be impossible to say. What you first have to determine is whether the miss is on one particular cylinder or all cylinders. If it's common to one cylinder, then you would look at the things on that cylinder. For instance, it could be a fuel injector that's going bad. It could be a plug wire or a spark plug or so on and so forth. If it misses common to all the cylinders, then we look at something like an airflow meter, an EGR valve sticking open, those sorts of things. So what you'd have to have is some instrumentation that can identify whether it is common to one or all cylinders, which is going to be probably outside of your realm. 
What you might just try, Drew, what's been done to the vehicle? Has any maintenance or anything been done on it? No, not since the remanufactured engine was installed. I'll tell you what I would probably do, Drew, because this is something you could do yourself that's fairly easy. I'd pull the eight spark plugs out of it. I'm assuming it's a V8. Yeah. Pull, no, no, it's a six. Oh, it's six. Okay, well, pull the six spark plugs out of it and just examine the tips of those plugs. A good plug is going to look sort of a tan-looking color. Mm-hmm. and it's not going to have a lot of deposits or anything on it. If you see one plug that is bone white or black or has a lot of deposits, that is likely the cylinder with the problem. Uh-huh. So then you can go from there, and if we know which cylinder is causing the problem, you can do things like move the spark plug wire from that cylinder to another cylinder and see if the mist changes. Yeah. See, without instrumentation, without a digital lab scope, that's probably about all you're going to be able to do. Now, the other thing is, of course, you could bring it to a shop and they could diagnose it for you. But things like a fuel pump or fuel filter would affect more on acceleration than okay. just cruising like you've got. I'm thinking probably either a bad plug wire or possibly an EGR valve sticking open. That's the kinds of things that you normally feel in that tickle range. Could also be something like an airflow meter that's dirty, that's leaning the engine out too much at that range. But those are the kinds of things you'd probably be looking for. All right, I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. All right, Drew, you want to be part of the Automotive Hour? We would love to have you. And we've got Trent on the line. Good morning, Trent. Good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, doing sir. Great. Yeah, just a quick question. I've got an 05 Trailblazer. Uh-huh. It's got the 5.3 engine in it. Okay. And about after about, I've got 70,000 miles on it. After around 50,000 miles, it started burning some oil. And okay. between oil changes, probably burns two to three quarts of oil. Okay. And you change it all like every 3,000? About every three to 4,000 miles. Yeah, that's a fair amount of oil. Trent, what you'd have to do in order to determine where the oil is going, the easiest test would be what they call a compression test. Okay. And there's two sides to a compression test. There's a dry test and a wet test. What that means is you would take all the spark plugs out of the engine, block the throttle open, okay. disable the ignition and the injectors, and then crank it over and measure the pressure in each cylinder. Now, the higher the pressure to a point, the better, and it should be equal cylinder to cylinder. But okay. what you do next is you take some light oil and spray down each one of the cylinder holes and run the test again. If the readings come up appreciably, for instance, if you have 150 the first time, you put some oil in the hole and it comes up to 190. Mm-hmm. The oil has temporarily sealed the rings and boosted the pressure. That's an indication that the rings are probably leaking in it for some reason. Now, that's real low mileage for that to happen, but it's not unheard of. It does happen. You could possibly have a broken ring, a stuck ring, something to that degree. Now, if that does not show anything, in other words, the compression is the same, wet or dry, then you got a basically healthy lower end. Then I would be looking for something like valve guide seals. It's a little seal around the intake valves. And what happens, because the engine is constantly pumping oil up to the top end to lubricate the roller rockers and all, that oil will sit inside that valve cover area. Now, if there's a, a leak around that seal, since there's vacuum on that intake valve, it'll suck the air right in through the stems. Mm-hmm. Used to be a classic symptom is you'd run the car, get it hot, cut it off, let it sit five minutes, crank it up, and a big puff of white smoke would come out. But with the catalytic converters we have nowadays, you just don't hardly see that because the converter vaporizes it before you ever see it. Okay. So that would be the two most common causes of leakage. But those are the, all the most common things. Leak, you'd know because you'd have a big, big spot under the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's no leaks. Yeah. So, is that something you think that needs to be looked at? I mean, well, is, it's well, not going to just keep. 
it's not going to get better. And right. what's going to happen in time, if it's using that much oil, it's going to burn up your catalytic converter because you're adding fuel to the fire. Okay. And those converters are probably eight, 900 bucks. Yeah, okay. okay. So well, I would probably at least check it and find out what it is. It may be something that you say, hey, it's just not worth fixing because right. it, it costs too much. But it would certainly be worth having diagnosed. Okay, great. All righty. All right, I sure appreciate it. Thank you, Trent. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we got Michael's been patiently holding. Good morning, Michael. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, doing sir. Doing great. I have a 01 F-150 with okay. a V6. Yes, sir. And recently I had it put in the shop because the light came on saying that the code said it was running lean on banks one and two. Okay, that's fair. And they common. replaced the intake gaskets. Okay, that would be common. O-rings. Mm-hmm. And it cured the problem. But okay. almost immediately afterwards, when the vehicle would shift into overdrive, mm-hmm. about 40 to 55 miles an hour, it slips every so often. Now, when it you like, say slip, kind of, tell me exactly what it is. Is it like a shudder or a shake or vibration? It's like a thump every now and then, like a jerking motion, like okay. once or twice. Yeah, Michael, that is... Very often, and I hadn't seen the vehicle, but very often at that speed range, the transmission is going into lockup at that speed. Uh In other words, there's a clutch inside of the torque converter. And when you come to a stop, the engine's still running, so that torque converter has to slip. That's what allows you to stop with the motor running. But when you get up to 45 miles an hour, it doesn't need to slip anymore. So in order to get better fuel mileage, what they do, the computer will command the torque converter to lock up. And a clutch locks it one-to-one where it doesn't slip any longer. Now, when it's going in and out of lockup, you'll get that pop or knock or shake. It almost feels like you're running over a cattle garden road. Right. And a lot of times, we can address that with a proper service to the transmission. It depends on how bad it is. The torque converter is going bad. That's not going to help. But many, many times, we have found that what brings that on is that the valve body gaskets tend to shrink up over time. Mm-hmm. creates a small cross leak, and that can cause that and make it way worse. Also, the new fluid is going to have conditioner in it, which is going to condition those clutches and and make them lock up a lot smoother. So I would recommend, first off, doing a proper service on the transmission. Somebody knows what to do and not a flush. Yeah, basically pull the pan. Pull the pan, retorque the valve body bolts, put the proper fluid. And more important, I guess, is drive it before and after to determine what's going on. But, I was just wondering, I mean, it just, I mean, immediately after I got it out the shop and started doing it, I didn't know if anything they had to well, do. Well, it's possible because, again, I haven't felt it, and it could be something else. I have seen where a call pack that's going bad can cause that very similar type of a problem, and it's possible one of the call packs wasn't installed exactly right or whatever, but I would just really need to drive the vehicle to tell you which you have and then go know. from there. I just didn't know if anything they did in the computer or anything. No, no they, nothing, nothing they could do nothing on that. Nothing in there is going to cause it. I have seen, like Lewis was saying, a call pack will actually go bad, and it'll drop out every once in a while. I had one. It was Crown Vic. Right. About that same year, the other day in the shop, and it was doing the same thing. You drive it along, and just about the time after it would shift out of overdrive, right. you would miss, and you would, it would feel you just drop out real quick and come right back. Well, see, when One sh- way you could check that is take it out of overdrive. Mm-hmm. Right. And see if it'll do it. Right. And if no, it doesn't, then you don't have a transmission problem because it's it's not a lockup problem then because it's not locking into overdrive at right. that speed. 
It absolutely if, has never done it out of overdrive. Yeah. Okay. See, you're lowering, too. What happens, the reason it occurs right then is the second it shifts into overdrive, the motor slows down considerably, and it puts the maximum load that engine's going to have on it. In other words, you're going high speed, low RPM, so that's when your plugs are going to start to, right. to mess up. Right. Like, I can tell. It sounds like the engine kind of, the RPMs drop lower or yeah. something than they mm-hmm. may have a little misfire going Very on. Very possible. Very difficult to determine. Michael, we get them in constantly. People think they got transmission problems. We drive and it's actually a running problem. We see that quite often. Now, one thing you can do, too, is if you just kind of lightly, lightly ride the brakes, just uh-huh. not enough to stop the vehicle, but just touch the brake pedal, and if it does not occur, it's going to be more likely transmission because when you touch the brake pedal, it won't go to lock up. So that would prevent it from going to lock up even at that speed. So if you touch the brake pedal lightly and it does not occur, I would look more at transmission. If it continues to occur, then look more right. towards the engine. Like I said, it's only about 40 to 50 miles an hour, and right. after I get over that, if I'm on the interstate or right. something to that effect, it never happens. Yeah, and it could be either one because they both feel so similar. It really almost takes an expert to drive it to tell you which you got. Either way, it should be able to be fairly easy to diagnose. On 01, it's probably going to set a misfire counter if it's an engine misfire. If you got the Ford scan tool called a PDS, you can go in and you go to Mode 6 data, and it will actually show you the misfires way before you can feel them. You can also go to the power balance on that scan tool, right? And it'll print. It'll show you a graph as the engine's running, and it's got highs and lows. And when the engine misses, it drops all right. the way to the bottom you of the. See, if you got the, the level, proper so. tooling and equipment experience, you can drive it with that on. You can determine exactly what it is. Okay. So I would probably first off take it back to the shop that you dealt with. And just say, hey guys, you know, I've got this little problem. It kind of occurred immediately after. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I just like you to check it. And if they can't or won't or don't seem like they're eager to help you, give me a call and we'll be glad to check it for you. Okay. All righty. Well, I sure appreciate it. Okay, All right. Sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Good morning, Motorfire. We'd love to have you. Bill, Vera, Shane, hang on. You guys will be straight up after this break. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Hurry up and try to catch as many of these calls as we possibly can. Good morning, Martin. Yes, good morning. How are good you? Good morning. Today? Doing great, sir. I have a 2005 Nissan Frontier, which okay. I'm currently in. Uh-huh. The anti-lock brake sensor has come on. Okay. Now, sometimes the brakes feel a little spongy, seem to make noise, but as of late, it's just runs fine and the brakes seem to be operating okay. Yes, sir. 
Norton anti-lock brakes probably are one of the most confusing systems on the car as far as most drivers. What you got to remember is, I know it says brakes, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the brakes. Oh, okay. If that makes any sense to you. The anti-lock brake system is strictly an electrical system, and it monitors the brakes, and if a wheel starts to lock up, what it does is it releases the pressure on that wheel so it won't lock up, which helps you to control the vehicle in a panic stop. Okay. So I know it says brakes, but it really does not have anything to do with the brakes. You have a full total braking system, and your regular brakes have a red light that will warn you if there's a problem. So okay. I kind of wish they would change from anti-lock brakes to anti-skid control or something like that, a different term, because it confuses the devil out of people. Sure. I had people come in all the time and say, man, my ABS light's on. I just had my brakes redone not long ago, and then they're all worried about the brakes. Yeah. So got a full braking system, and then you got the anti-lock braking system, which is an electrical system that monitors it. Now, to get to the question, when that light comes on, what happens is it's got a computer that monitors that system. Yeah. Since it doesn't work very often, because it only works when you got a wheel locked up, which is right. maybe once every two years, this computer goes out and it tests each component on that system to make sure it is operating. Okay. And when it runs a test and it fails that test, then it's going to turn that light on and say, hey, there's a problem here. Yes. And it can be something as simple as just a wire that's loose or a connection that's bad. It right. could be like a wheel speed sensor that's quit reading properly. Or it could be major. It could be a, a wheel speed sensor, please. A wheel speed sensor is just a little sensor at each wheel, and it reads how fast the wheel's turning. And that's how it knows which wheel is locked up. Because if all four wheels are, if three of the wheels are turning 35 miles an hour and one's turning 10 miles an hour, it knows that wheel's locked up. So what it will do is it will release the pressure to that wheel, allow it to speed back up to the same speed as the other three, and then it can do it 20 times a second. But that's how it operates. It constantly monitors the speeds of the wheels. And if it loses that signal, and sensors are one of the most prone parts because they're out at the wheel, so they just catch the most abuse. But there's a hydraulic unit, there's a computer, there's all sorts of other little switches and gizmos. Any one of those can cause that light to come on. So you just have to bring it in, get it checked. It'll have a code in the memory, just sort of like you check engine light, almost the same type of deal. You read the code, that'll tell you which area is causing the problem, and then you just go to that area and find out whether it's a bad wire or a bad sensor or a bad computer or what's actually wrong. So I looked up your address, I see you on Corset, but That's you're correct. at near what? Corsi and Sherwood Commons, one block west of Sherwood Forest Boulevard. Okay, good. I know what it is. Okay. Thank you so very much. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Love your show. I have a 2004 Ford, uh -huh. and I've had this about a year ago. I had electric window problems. I took it back to the Ford place because it was under warranty. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm out of warranty. The problem I'm having is on... It started, uh, I think, with my driver's side, and okay. now it's pretty much, you know, what happens is they'll intermittently not work. And you almost get to the point where you can't get them up when okay, you get when, them when down. When they do work, they work fine? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But in every once in a while, it'll go down real slow and not come up? It'll go, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, that's actually the motors going bad in those things, Bill. That's a pretty common problem. We see that a lot. It got so bad that Ford lowered the price on that motor regulator assembly considerably. One thing I found about car companies, when they lower the price on something, it's because they're scared they're going to have to recall it. If they got, got enough you. of them going bad, they tend to lower the price on it. I bought one yesterday for a guy, and I want to say it was about $125 for the motor and regulator. Okay. And normally the regulator itself is more than that, and the motor's probably twice that. So I think they acknowledging that they got a problem. But what they do is sometimes they'll run fine, sometimes they'll go down and they just won't hardly come up at all. Right. But right. It's, it's almost always going to be the motor going bad, and – 
I buy those from Ford. It's about an hour, hour and a half job to change it out. It takes a special rivet gun. It has to be riveted in. And if you're not real careful, you'll break the glass. So I, I don't think it's an average do-it-yourselfer type job. But most any shop, I know we do a lot of that at Agco, a lot of power window work. We'll be glad to do it for you or whomever you might choose. But just tell them there are some aftermarket companies that make those. They're not very good, not even as good as the original Ford ones were. So I would go and buy the original part and probably have an independent shop put it in there. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring it. I'm going to call you all next week. There you go. We'll take care of it. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay, Bill. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Part of the Automotive Hour. We'd love to have you. Hey, we got Vera online. Good morning, Vera. Yes. I am driving a 97 Camry. Uh Uh-huh. And some time ago, there was a little leak on the driver's side underneath the mat. Okay. Water coming in. Yes, ma'am. And a young man came by my house with a garage sale, and he was a mechanic. And he said, give me your water hose. And he did something with the water hose, I think, and it cleared it out. Yeah, I may, you- may have had some leaves stuck in the drain box on the air conditioning evaporator core is the only thing I can think of that he could have done like that. What happens if enough dust and dirt and stuff gets in there, it plugs up the drain hose, and then that little tray that catches the water in the, in the uh, air conditioning will overflow. And it will run out either on the passenger side or the driver's side, just depending. Where, it, where would the leaves get, be? They're down inside the evaporator case somewhere. You, what you got to do, Vera, does it ever leak when it's not raining? Rain affect it? I'm not sure. I, that was one of the things I was going to watch. Yeah, watch that. If it doesn't get wet when it's not raining, then it's probably not that. It's more likely a leak somewhere. However, right. if it gets wet whether it rains or not, then it's most likely the air conditioner or the heater core leaking. The next thing you would do is pull the mat up and kind of feel the water. And if it feels like fresh water, it's most likely air conditioning. If it's kind of sticky, it's more likely the heater core. Because either one of those can drip in that same spot. And if it is the air conditioning, there's a little rubber vent hose under the car that you actually gets plugged up. And that's probably what he would have. That's what he did. That's what he did. Just cleared it out. To fix that a little more permanently, what you would have to do is actually take some of the mechanisms out and get inside and clean the inside of the case because right, the 97 vehicle is probably not worth all that right not necessarily no it's not too big a deal but what happens if you just clean out the vent as soon as more trash flows in it's gonna plug up again see that's well, why it came back while. it's been a you know two three four years you know, it's not that big of a deal you take the blower motor out and get in there and clean the case out so you're probably talking an hour or hour and a half worth of service at most so anyway, okay. just check those things and see, and that'll give you some guidance as to which one it is causing it. I appreciate it. All righty. Thank you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we got Shane online. Good morning, Shane. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, great. Good morning. Man, great. Look, I got a 96 Chevy Blazer. Yes, sir. My air works, but it don't blow through the vent. It just blows through the defrost, the frost and at yes, the floor. Uh-huh. You yeah. could uh, tell yeah. me what Yes, sir. That 96 is going to probably be a vacuum-controlled dash system. There's on the later models, they use electric servos, but on that one, it's most likely going to be a vacuum-controlled servo. That's almost always going to be a vacuum-type problem. Either the vacuum canister, which is like a little plastic ball with two vacuum lines going into it, is disconnected or broken. Yeah, it's up at the top. Right. right there. Yeah. Or it's got a vacuum line that's cracked or broken somewhere. You're just going to have to trace the lines down and see where. But what happens that, is that, that line, is it a small line? Small plastic line, about an eighth inch in diameter. Yeah, yeah. See, uh, what happens is that when it loses vacuum, there's a spring that pulls it towards defrost. Because defrost is a safety system and vents are not. So mm-hmm. if it gets to where it can't work, it's going to automatically default to defrost. Because if it's not right. getting a vacuum, it'll pull up to defrost. 
right. So, and I got one more question for you. How much transmission fluid put in that transmission? Go to my website. And there's an article on the left-hand side down at the bottom called How to Properly Check Transmission Fluid. Mm-hmm. And read that, and that will tell you exactly. All right, guys. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry, our lead tech from Agco. In between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Still got a few minutes. You can get a... Call right. in. That's it. Might want to make it quick. Might want to make it quick, though. Yeah, we're running low. Just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something occurs to you after the show. Right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact ball on every page. You can right. send Lewis an email 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's and He'll get it back to you within 24 hours. Yep. Should you happen not to get one back in 24 hours, it's not because he ignore your email. It's, <laughs> That's right. You probably don't have a good return address. Yeah, so you might, might want to check. Might have it. made a mistake typing in that return address. Just send it again, and I guarantee I'll get it back to you. I know that last week I had one fellow that I did overlook his email because right. had, I had like a list of 30 emails when I got home, and I went down the list and somehow overlooked it. So he sent it again, and I got him an answer real quick. Yeah, pop on there and see what you think. We get people from all over the world on there. In fact, there's someone in Moscow. Moscow. Who, yeah, that's one of our top. Uh, I can see his IP address. I don't know who he is, but it says where he's from. He's right. from Moscow, and he eats up an awful lot of bandwidth, so he must like us. Hey, that's great. <laughs> and if he's listening out there, I hope he'll give us a call. There Man, you go. be kind of cool. <laughs> but, yeah, we have people from all over the world who use that site. Eight Over 800,000 people have been to that site in the last few years, so it's a pretty good resource for the folks of Baton Rouge. and All over the world, really. Or all over the world, that's right. Welcome anybody who wants to give us a call. Our primary goal is to try to spread good information. There you go. Not necessarily to work on the cars. So we're going back to our phone lines with Todd. Good morning, Todd. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Yes, How you sir. doing? Doing good great, morning. sir. Enjoy your show. Appreciate Thanks, the email response, too. I got an O2 Buick LeSabre that the heater went out. Okay. And I understand that car has blend doors, not a heater core valve. Correct. It went out for like four months uh-huh. and unexplainably started working again. Yeah, they and do that sometimes. Okay, I was just wondering if that was a normal occurrence or if I could expect it to fail again. It and, will. Uh, it will eventually fail again. It's a 94, you said? Not, uh, I'm sorry, 2002. 2002. The programmer assembly goes out a fair amount on those. That's a device that actually converts a digital signal from the control head or to the electrical signal for the servo motors. 
and they go out a fair amount. We change those a good bit. Not necessarily that that's what the problem with yours is. As long as it's working, I would not worry about it. It may work for a long, long time, but eventually it's probably going to go out, and when it does, then it'll have to be diagnosed and, and corrected. But that's one of the parts that we change more probably than anything else. And, and, and what, what, what other thing what is, about it, if it's working, it's going to be hard to find out why it's not working when right, it's not. Right, right. It would be almost impossible to diagnose. There's actually a procedure on those to resynchronize the motors, too. Sometimes what will happen is that all the little servos will get out of sync with each other. They've got to know where home position is, so they'll know what position to put the motors in. Occasionally, you can get a glitch. I don't know what. Unless maybe lightning hits close to the car or something, and there's a glitch in it. And what you may have done is changed a battery or something along the line, and it may have started working after that. Or maybe it just straightened itself out. I'm not sure. Because I know sometimes we can put a scan tool on, go in and recommand all the doors, do what they call a synchronization on them, and they'll start working again. Really? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I do appreciate it. All right. Enjoy your show. Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's see if we have got time to catch maybe another call or two. We've got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Question for you. My sister-in-law just called, and I said, well, just happens I'm listening to the okay. automotive hour. She has a, actually, I, I thought it was 2006. It's a 2004 uh-huh. Kia Optima. Uh-huh. And she just called and said the check engine light came on, and it is staying in low, low one. Yeah, it's probably actually staying in second. Mike, what happens is that when the computer loses sight of how to run the transmission, it goes to what they call a limp mode, or limp Uh home, and it'll lock up. It doesn't know how to shift any longer, so it's going to lock in a gear that'll get you home. And second will get up fast enough to get you home, so that's generally where they lock. Right. If she turns the key off, lets it sit a few minutes, and it starts it up again, it will probably go ahead and start moving again and shifting, but it's going to occur again. It's an electrical problem with the transmission. It would have Uh to be diagnosed to tell you what. There's there's probably a couple hundred things that can cause it to go to limp mode. But it needs to get to the right guy, have them diagnose the problem. Don't let anybody pull the transmission out until the problem is diagnosed. Okay. All righty? Appreciate you. Thank Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. All right, boy, I tell you, we have squandered another perfectly good hour. That's it. A lot of great information went out today. That's it. That's it. Hey, in case we didn't get to your call, you can go ahead and hit us at the website. www.agcoauto.com. A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. That's right. And nothing for sale. Just a whole lot of good information. Pretty soon we're going to have to quit saying nothing for sale because we fixed to put a shopping cart where you can... You can actually purchase that. That's right. You can get a Lagco goodies and get (laughs) an auto awareness handbook and all sorts of other things. So be looking for that. That'll be coming on pretty soon. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.